Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of Outside the Screen, a podcast all about screens in the lives of children and families. I'm law professor and child rights advocate, Liz Hansley. And I'm child psychiatrist and stand-up comic, Dr. Kim Lee. We're bringing you the podcast because we know just how hard it is to raise kids in a technology-centric world, and we want to help. So what have we got lined up for this episode, Liz? Today on the show, you're going to hear an in-depth interview with Josh Golan, who heads up a US nonprofit that's doing great work to challenge the ways that big companies take advantage of children. But first up, we've got... Paper Round, our regular segment where we look at research that's coming out and demystify it so that it can inform your family's decisions about how you engage with screens. Today, we're discussing a study from the US about every parent's favorite subject, tantrums. Can parents use media as a way to regulate toddlers' emotions? If so, stay tuned. As Kim said, today in Paper Round, we're looking at some research out of the US about toddlers and tantrums. Kim, I don't really need to ask why they did this research. No. One needs as much research as possible on toddlers and tantrums, doesn't one? <laughs> yeah, the terrible twos. Well, they shared my concerns from you know 2015 when I was in Singapore seeing kids in prams and screens in their prams and worried about what's the future implications on their development and the the research were researchers were generally worried about the effect of screens being used as a pacifier in restaurants and yeah. screens as a babysitter for the ever exhausted and busy modern day parents mm, yeah you know just before we go on i have noticed a number of times in public places kids who are quite happy doing something else and then the parents provide the mm, phone or the tablet right. or whatever yeah which is really interesting that parents obviously feel like it's a really good thing for them to be doing yeah. and really helpful, you know, not just to them, but to people around them probably. But when you know, you just want to take a step back and say, the kid's fine without that thing. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, what did they find in this or how'd they go about it anyway? Well, they gave questionnaires to parents as part of a longitudinal study of around 270 toddlers aged two to three years of age. And they asked questions with regards to their temperament, they also asked uh, questions such as, uh, when offered a choice of activities, how often did your child decide what to do very quickly or go after it? When a familiar child came into your house, how often did your child seek out the company of the child? Mm -hmm. And they asked them uh, questions about whether they were extroverted and how much uh, effort it took to control them. So, for example, they'll ask questions like, during daily or evening quiet time with you and your child, how often did your child enjoy being quietly sung to? And when engaged in play with their favorite toys, how often did your child play for more than 10 minutes? Mm -hmm. And they also ask them questions about problematic media use as well. And when you say longitudinal, does that mean that they came back after a certain time and asked them the same questions again? Or yeah, they yeah. came back after about eight months to see how they went. Okay. And I think it's part of a, a f multiple waves um, in this study. Right. Yep. So we might be hearing more. Yeah, definitely. It's always good. Okay. So what did they find? Well, they found that children with a temperament more geared towards negative emotions and extroversion were more likely to get screen time to calm them down from their parents. And that screens are very effective at calming children down. But the concern is 
Um, it doesn't actually allow the, the child to experience the opportunity to tolerate negative emotions such as boredom and you know, consider that that's actually a normal experience that you have with inside of you. And then they might lose out on important internal coping mechanisms or strategies for self-regulation. Mm. And the theory that a child who is very extroverted and very active and requiring a lot of their parents' attention, that these children might wear out their parents faster and thus those parents might be more uh, easily providing these devices just to get some peace and quiet. Mm, right. Well, that, that all fits pretty well with what we've been observing around us, isn't it? One of the interesting things about that kind of research or that kind of finding is that it enables parents to look at it and say, okay, well, you know, what what is my child like? Like, just stop and think, like, what personality does this child yeah. have and how, how yep. does that feed into the way that I interact with him or her and so on? And yeah. What's in his or her best interests? Yeah, and just maybe seeking out professional help and trying to understand what makes your child tick. And there are controversies around temperament. Is it static? You know, is your, bo- is your okay. uh, child born with it or are they evolved based on the way you treat them and their environment? And mm. there's probably a bit of both. And it's really important that you get as much information as you can so you know how to deal with it when the time comes and you understand you're not just reacting in the moment. Yeah, well, it, it is always good to know as a parent that there's something that you can do, I think. Like, sometimes it, it can be reassuring to think, oh, look, that's just the way my child is. But even then, th- there's still strategies for, sure. for working around you know, what the temperament is or what the yeah. personality is. Right, okay. So was there anything at all surprising in there so far? Well, nothing it nothing like... too surprising. Yeah. I think um, when you hand a child a screen, it really is a slippery slope. It may seem like a win-win situation at the time. You get a bit of peace and quiet. They're having fun on there and everyone is happy. But the research has commented that this pattern may actually be a lose-lose situation. Okay. And now, um, do you have any reservations about the finding? Well, the only reservations that the researchers commented themselves was that it was reliant on the parent reports and Mm. how this could be biased and how, you know, the lens of the particular parent might be based on their child. Yeah, and also what they think is a sort of acceptable thing to say. That, you know, one isn't always completely honest with oneself about how one lives one's life, let alone being honest with other people. And, and that's a, a known limitation of that kind of research, which is why we aim to have different strategies for research over time on the same issues so we can get the um, richer picture. So you might get some that are based on self-report, some that are based on observation and so on, and hopefully... There are those sorts of um, research findings out there, or if not, they're coming. Okay. So coming back to your practice as a psychiatrist, how will this stuff work in with that, do you think? Well, I think as a psychiatrist working with families, you can't underestimate the power of saying, you know, a study in the US showed this and Mm. this is what they did and how that can relate to uh, parents' personal situations and how Mm. facts can be really impactful for parents in informed Mm decision-making. And I guess research evidence is always more powerful than anecdotes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, good. Okay, so you'll be able to relate the stories from this and and that will help people to get some perspective on yeah. what they need to do in their own situation. Great. And also realising that if you hand the child the device, then they are more likely to have problematic use mm. problems with it later down the track. You yeah. know, they might be over-reliant or over-dependent and lack skills in regulating or you know, the big buzzword right now is uh, resilience. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you're 
on that holiday trip and you don't have access to the Wi-Fi, you know, does the, the whole world uh, melt down? I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of yeah, those situations. Sure. And, and thinking ahead is, is always a very helpful thing in anything really, but parenting's no different. And what about informing parenting or caring for children? Could parents discuss it with their kids or how, how might parents use this research for themselves? Well, I guess for toddlers, they're probably too young to really understand the mm. intricacies. But I think for parents, it's really the critical years of development and the parents should be discussing it amongst themselves and with their friends and with their you know, uh, grandparents even. Mm. Uh, parents will need to monitor their own media use and yep. if they want to prevent problematic use down the track and their child reaching out for devices in the future, they need to equip their children with coping strategies mm. and... We should also offer parents more support and increase their own capacities to meet their children's needs because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're uh, if you can't afford childcare, for example, you might be stuck with your child all day and that wears you out. And then come nighttime, dinner time, and TV screens, you know, that can become yeah. quite chaotic. I can yeah, sure. Well, it's always in the context of a person's particular life, isn't it? But more information never a bad thing. Great. Well, thanks for discussing that. We'll move on to the next section now. Thanks. Thanks, Liz. Well, there were a couple of pretty interesting tips from Kim about how to avoid problematic screen use starting young. The paper was by Sarah Coyne and colleagues, and the title is Tantrums, Toddlers and Technology, Temperament, Media Emotion Regulation and Problematic Media Use in Early Childhood. It was published in the journal Computers in Human Behaviour. Full details in the show notes. And now it's time for our special feature and interview with Executive Director of Boston-based nonprofit Fair Play, Josh Golan. Yes, listeners might remember the campaign for a commercial free childhood. Fair Play is a rebranding of that organisation that in many ways is the US counterpart to Children and Media Australia. I caught up with Josh a little while back and things have moved on a bit, so I'll post some updating info in the notes. But the basic questions we discussed have not changed at all. In fact, I think they're more urgent than ever. So Josh, welcome to Outside the Screen. Thanks, Lizzie. It's great to be here. Now, you're the executive director of an organisation called Fair Play for Kids. Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of organisation it is and what it aims to do? Sure. So Fair Play promotes healthy child development by uh, working to prevent marketers and big tech from interfering in children's development. And what that means in practice is that we do a lot of campaigns against companies who are either introducing harmful tech products or are marketing to children in particularly egregious and harmful ways. And we advocate for policies that would protect children from from harmful marketing. And in recent years, we have been increasingly focused on, uh, on big tech because that is the primary way that children are marketed to. And because so many of the problems that people are aware of uh, when it comes to children being on screens too much, using inappropriate media, are really related to the business model, which looks to monetize children as much as possible by keeping them on screens as long as possible and is collecting as much data as, as possible from them. And so we do things like lobby for legislation. We file complaints at the Federal Trade Commission. Most notably, we filed a complaint in 2018 that led to uh, major changes at YouTube and, uh, and a big fine for YouTube here in the United States. And currently, we have a big campaign 
campaign, an international campaign, trying to stop Facebook from releasing a new version of Instagram for younger children. Yeah, I've been having a bit of a look at that and the organisation that I'm president of is uh, very interested in that campaign as well. Well, we're interested in all your campaigns, obviously. We have, have a real lot in common as organisations. So let's talk about that uh, Youth Instagram campaign. What's going to be the difference between Youth Instagram and the version that currently exists? Well, first of all, there will be uh, more parental controls, um, so parents can have a say in who their children are becoming friends with and and who they're in contact with. There will be no direct advertising or, or paid advertising, um, though there will be a lot of influencer marketing like there is on all of Instagram, and we can talk a little bit more about that and why that's a problem. Mm. Um, but essentially, it is it is going to be a quote-unquote safer version of Instagram with more parental controls, and as I said, it, there won't be any paid ads. Right. Now, a lot of kids are already using Instagram, as we know, so... You know, you're campaigning against it, but I gather you don't think it's better for them to move to the, the new v youth version? Well, first of all, I don't believe they are going to move to the youth version. Yeah. Um, so we know that there are millions of children who are lying their way onto Instagram by pretending to be 13. And frankly, I don't think that Facebook, Instagram has done nearly enough over the years to identify who those children are and and close their accounts. So the question becomes, why would those kids move to to a, a, <laughs> yeah. a younger version of Instagram? And I yeah. think, you know, if you know anything about child development, which I know you do, um, mm -hmm. we know that kids always want to look up to their older peers. They don't want to be, you know, particularly as they get to be like 10, 11 and 12, which is the age where these kids are lying their way onto Instagram. They don't want to be associated with anything babyish. And so if kids have been on the real thing, it's very hard to understand why they would be motivated themselves to move to a kid's version, which they're going to see as babyish. Now, it's yeah. possible that Facebook is going to be using all of its technical tools and machine learning to identify those kids who are likely lying and then move them over to Instagram youth. But the question then becomes, if Facebook can identify those children, why haven't they closed their accounts already? Why, yeah. why do they need another way, another home for them in order to identify those kids? So I don't, you know, either Facebook can identify those kids, and then the question is, why haven't they already been doing that? Or they can't, and then the question becomes, why on earth would a 10-year-old, 11-year-old move to a babyish site on their own? Yeah, that's right. And also, as part of their promotion of this proposed new service, they're not saying we are now going to identify all of the 10-year-olds who are currently on Instagram and move them off. You'd think that they would be advertising that if it were part of the plan, but they're not saying that, are they? No, they're not. And 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 I think the other thing that's, um, you know, I, to me is just a little jaw-dropping is, you know, Facebook will say, oh, we're doing everything we can to identify these children and, and get them off. But everybody knows that, you know, millions of young underage kids are on Instagram. And to the best of my knowledge, and I've asked Facebook about this, they have never run a big campaign on Facebook saying, parents, we really, really, really don't want your 10-year-olds, your 11-year-olds on Instagram. Please work with us to keep yeah. them off of Instagram. Um, they haven't well, done that because they... They want those kids on there. <laughs> yeah, and if they had done that, we would know about it. Between the two of us, one of us yes. would have heard of that, wouldn't we? Absolutely. And, and, and I mean, think, go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, Facebook has the ability 
to do a parent education campaign like that, that, you know, public health people like you and me could only dream about, right? They can reach exactly. almost every parent in the world yeah. and they could tell them, you know what? We really, really don't want your kids on Instagram, but they haven't yeah. done that. That's right. But anyway, we come back to you know, what a lot of people think and believe about how social media works and the, the role it plays in children's life. And we hear so much about how important social connections are for children's development, which they clearly are. I'm, you know, I'm sounding a little bit like I'm scoffing at that, but it is clearly important. But a lot of people on that basis would think that social media platforms are going to be beneficial, at least from that perspective. But what would you say to them? Well, I would say to them that that social media, connecting on social media is a very specific form of connection. And it's not the kind of connection that we think of when we, you know, think of what younger children need. So on on, on social media, we brand ourselves, we market ourselves, we do a lot of packaging of ourselves in order to get the best reaction to to from other people. We do things in order to collect likes and retweets and and shares and all of those metrics that are, you know, such at the heart of of social media. And you know, when we start doing that, we're not talking about genuine connection, we're talking about connecting in the ways that is beneficial to the platforms. Mm-hmm. Um and so just, you know, just to give a few examples of things that happen to kids on on social media, They feel like they're missing out. They have tremendous FOMO, fear of missing out because they see, you know, everybody is presenting them their best selves and it looks like everybody is having more fun than they are. And so that makes them feel bad. They post pictures of themselves of the ones that are likely to get the most attention. And frankly, the what's likely to get you the most attention on social media, particularly if you're a girl, is to post a revealing or provocative picture of yourself. And, you know, on social media, the the currency is likes and attention, not efforts and skills. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that when we indoctrinate children at such a young age to go through this effort of presenting themselves and presenting the most polished social media friendly version of themselves, we we don't do them any favors. In fact, we we get them to relate to people in, in precisely the wrong way. We want eight-year-olds just being themselves, being, you know, uh, uh, being silly, being goofy in ways that come authentically from themselves, not selecting yeah. from, you know, uh, a bunch of pre, pre-chosen emojis that, that Facebook has chosen in order to expo- express yeah. themselves. And so, I really, really think being on social media is is a uh, it's hard. It's a skill. It's a skill that many adults haven't mastered. And to think that <laughs> eight year olds and ten year olds are ready for that is just, I, I just think is so yeah. misguided. Yeah. So I, I think we've we've got plenty of reason to think that this kind of thing is just never going to be a good thing for kids. But we'll just strongman the tech platform's position and say, okay, we're not going to be moving any current ten year olds onto Instagram youth. But the people who are currently six, uh, they will stay on Instagram youth until they're 13. And there are going to be these better parental controls and more kid-friendly content. So what do we say to that? Isn't that a good thing? Won't that be safer? You know, the safest social media and the best social media for six and eight-year-olds is no social media at all. Um, And it's just one of the ways that Facebook presents this is that, you know, it's just about substituting Instagram youth for the adult Instagram. But clearly, Facebook is the best marketer in the world with an incredible reach. And if they build something, children are going to come. And so what you're talking about is creating a whole new audience 
of young children who will be on Instagram, where they will be indoctrinated into a culture of influencers who, you know, who the idea is that, you know, you form relationships with people so you can sell them stuff. Um, They they will be certainly getting into all sorts of misunderstandings about, you know, and and saying hurtful things to their friends because as adults, that's what we do on social media. Yeah. Um, they will be indoctrinated to a, a culture that's all about appearance. Instagram is the most visual of the social media platforms. Yes. And, and right. sure, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and what the research tells us is that teens who were on there, you know, feel worse about their bodies. Even some adults, you know, there's research that young adults feel that way as well. And so it's just not the right culture or the right type of platform for a young child. Yeah. So it's not really about parental controls. You, you know, you can't expect parental controls to correct for all those sorts of big built-in aspects of the platforms that you've been identifying there. Yeah, and um, I think that, you know, as 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 children, um, they're developing their sense of self and who they are, and they really need to do that before that they can start thinking about how do I want to present myself on an internet platform where, you know, what I say is going to be there forever and is going to yeah. be interpreted by uh, people differently than the way I intended it, and it's going to be seen by people that I don't even know. Hmm. It just, um, <laughs> it's so fraught. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and that's the the irony, isn't it? Because so much of the pro-social media message is to the effect of this will help children to develop their identity, but it actually undermines the development of an, as you say, an authentic identity. That's right. And I think one of the things we don't think about enough is is how like the algorithms shape our identity, right? So yes, so one of the things that we know is that what the algorithms care about is keeping us on their platforms. Right. Yeah. And so they will serve us the content that is most likely to keep us on on a platform. And one of the things that happens with kids, like you see this on YouTube all the time, if a kid expresses a little bit of interest in something, they just get hit with yeah. endless, endless content of that yeah. thing that they're interested, whether it's trucks or soccer or whatever mm. it is. And, you know, it's really important for kids to develop a wide variety of interests, to develop them from their own Mm. interest and not because somebody is just force feeding it down their throats because it's the easiest thing to keep them on a platform. And so, you know, I don't want Facebook shaping my daughter's identity. I don't want them uh, shaping anybody's identity because their their goal is to make money for Facebook, not healthy child development. Social media puts us into little boxes um, because that's what works. That's what keeps us coming back. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. And so your natural or authentic progression as a child moving into adulthood is to to change and grow and and move in different directions. But, yeah, social media just keeps you in that place. It's so interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. Okay, so what kind of response have you had to the campaign so far? Well, you know, we have had a terrific response from everyone with one notable exception. Um, so um, we we have, uh, you know, more than 100 organizations worldwide and leading experts in child development uh, signed our letter to Facebook asking them not to release Instagram for kids. Four leading members of Congress here in the United States asked Facebook not to do this. 44 of the 50 state attorneys general here in the United States wrote a letter to Facebook, you know. I wouldn't think there'd be many issues where you could get 44 out of 50 attorneys general agreeing. 
it is remarkable. I don't yeah. know that. I, I mean, I, I've never seen a letter with that many uh, on there. And obviously, mm. when you're talking 44, that's completely bipartisan. De- Democrats and, yeah. and Republicans yeah, exactly. um, yeah. all, you know, across the spectrum. And um, over 200,000 parents have, have signed petitions. The one notable exception is Facebook. Yeah. They are insisting that they are going to to go ahead with this. They are engaging, you know, just like when they released Facebook Messenger Kids a few years ago, they are engaging primarily with child development people who they are paying and who are telling them how mm. they can do this better, but yeah. they won't engage with people with organizations like mine who say, yeah. you know, you shouldn't do this at all. And here's why. Um, yeah. So, so the pressure, I mean, we've literally never had this kind of across the board support for one of our campaigns and support of that's this deep for one of our campaigns, but Facebook continues to dig in its heels. So we're going to have to keep pressuring them and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, working with regulators and politicians to maybe make change their mind. Because to me, this is such an escalation. Um, You know, it's bad enough that 11 year olds and 10 year olds are are on Instagram and and other social media platforms. We really don't want to make social media the norm for six year olds. Indeed. So um, anything else in the offing? What What's next for you? Or are you going to be very caught up in this one for a while? We'll be caught up for this one for a while, but we're also really excited about some legislation that we're working on here in the United States. We just a couple of weeks ago had a bill introduced in Congress that would do uh, a couple of things. One, it would ban all data-driven advertising to all children under the age of 18. So all of that data that's used to market to us all the time on the internet, um, teens and, and children would be off limits from that. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that it, the bill does is it incorporates a lot of the UK's age-appropriate design code, which I personally think is is the most exciting regulation of tech when it comes to children that we've seen. Um, and, and so we're trying to replicate that here in the U.S., but also take it a step further by, by banning all data-driven advertising to kids. That's going to be a, a really big development, isn't it? The real game changer. Wow. Yeah. To me, to me, if we could get this bill to the finish line, um, it would completely change the experience for for children here on the online here in the unit U.S. And as yeah. goes the U.S., there goes the world. So well, it would have yeah. uh, ripples throughout the world. Yeah. That was going to be my next comment. That any in- improvement over there is going to improve things here and, and elsewhere as well. So keep up the good work, Josh. And thanks so much for joining me. Um, any any final thoughts? Uh, no, just appreciate you having me on, Lizzie, and uh, always great to talk to you. Yeah, I'll say it's been really great. Hi, it's Liz here again with a couple of updates on the things that Josh and I discussed. First, Meta announced in September 2021 that it would, quote, pause, unquote, all work on Instagram for kids. The head of Instagram, Adam Mosseri, put out a post saying, and I'm quoting, We believe building Instagram kids is the right thing to do, but we're pausing the work. We'll use this time to work with parents, experts and policymakers to demonstrate the value and need for this product. We'll continue to build opt-in parental supervision tools for teens. So that's what he had to say. It makes it sound temporary, but I haven't heard anything else about them progressing plans for a kid's version since then. We'll keep you posted on any developments, of course. Meanwhile, though, Instagram hasn't been out of the hot seat. Josh's organisation published a report in April 2022 revealing that Meta is making millions of dollars from pushing pro-eating disorder content to minors as young as nine on Instagram. Even worse, 
Instagram's algorithmic amplification is helping to grow this content's reach. There's a link to the full report in the show notes. And secondly, on the legislation that Josh mentioned, the Children and Teens Online Privacy Protection Act, which is known as COPPA 2.0, passed the Senate Commerce Committee in late July 2023 and is going to a full floor vote in the Senate. If passed, COPPA 2.0 will expand privacy protections to teenagers under 17, prevent big tech from purposefully overlooking the presence of underage users on their platforms by holding them accountable for users reasonably likely to be children or teens. It'll ban targeted advertising to all minors under 17, create an eraser button that allows teens and the parents of preteens to delete data collected from a minor, and it will establish fair information practice principles and a digital marketing bill of rights for teens to further protect minors' online privacy. Another important piece of legislation passed to a full floor vote at the same time. It's called the Kids Online Safety Act, or COSA, which will impose a duty on online platforms to prevent and mitigate specific harms, require large social media companies to perform annual audits to assess risks to minors, provide kids and teens with the opportunity to turn off data-driven recommendation algorithms, empower teens to limit the ability for strangers to contact them on social media, and finally create tools to help parents track screen time and spending and report emergencies to platforms. Well, that's all we have time for today. Yes, that's a wrap for Episode 8. We'd really love to have your feedback, so please get in touch either through our Facebook page or you can email us at outsidethescreenpod at gmail.com. And if you'd like an assessment for your child or even for yourself, you can actually go to my website, cgiclinic.com, where all you need is a GP referral. Or if you really like us, you can help by becoming a subscriber on Substack. Details are in the show notes, along with a range of further info about the things we've been discussing. And finally, you can rate and review us on your listening platform to make it easier for others to find us. And this This has been been the team from Outside the Screen. See you next week.